Praise God. Thank you so much, all those on the platform. I want you to open a Luke chapter 4 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 4. I'm going to visit a very familiar portion of Scripture. Now, the Bible places before us a particular imagery of the devil and the ways of his functioning. And one of the most common Scriptures is First Peter 5, 8. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. This means that he is constantly prowling among the human race, looking for opportunity to seduce, to destroy, to bring into bondage. And it all begins with temptation. Think about that. So here is where we go to the law of first mention in the Bible. That we find the devil in the Garden of Eden with Eve. The first mention of the devil at work tempting the human race. And he is subtly yet with great skill tempting her to touch what God said not to touch. This is probably the most clear picture in the Bible of how the devil works and the skill that he possesses when it comes to the marketing of the forbidden. He's very good at marketing the forbidden. Now, fast forward about 4,000 years, and we have another very clear picture. As Jesus is now the one that is alone and the devil is right by his side, And just like with Eve, he is once again trying to hijack God's plan in its infant stage. Now he's working on Jesus through the same means, the means of temptation. So I'm going to read this account of Jesus in the wilderness. And I want to preach a sermon called The Seasons of Temptation. Let's begin in Luke 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterwards, when they they had ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word of God. Then the devil, taking him on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Jesus answered and said, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Seasons of temptation. I want to first consider with you the reality of temptation. The reality is that if Jesus faced temptation, you and I are going to face temptation. 
Now, temptation by definition is very simply a desire to do something particularly wrong or unwise. This is why that when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, that one of the features of that prayer was lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So temptation is a very real arena we live in. And Jesus highlights this for them and makes it a target of their prayers. So when Jesus was in the garden with his disciples, he is pressing them about this very thing in Mark fourteen thirty eight. Watch and pray unless you enter into temptation for the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus twice now places emphasis on the relationship between an active prayer life and overcoming temptation. Now, Jesus also spoke of the freshly planted seed that begins to grow in Matthew 13, but then it fades away. And the version that is spoken in Luke 8, 13 says, but the one that on the rock, the seed that fell on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a little while And in a time of temptation, fall away. So here's a word to every new Christian tonight. You're going to face some very real battles involving temptation. And many have never gotten out of the infant stage of their walk with God before they fell to temptation and withered away. It's a a very real battle that you're going to face. And so you need to be getting good, deep roots in the church, in the Word of God, in prayer, and in the area of accountability, because it will help you along the way. Now, Jesus is quoted a little differently in Luke's Gospel, in Luke twenty-two forty-six, And he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray unless you enter into temptation. So the disciples are sleeping, they are disengaged too leisurely when they should have been watching and keeping their lives active spiritually. And the end result is they succumb to temptation. And this would be a good place to put in a plug for the importance of morning prayer. Why do you sleep? Rise up from your bed and pray unless you enter temptation. This is one of the big problems of many Christians. Christians that don't pray are easy prey. Now, in our text, it makes a specific notation in verse 2. It speaks of Jesus being tempted for 40 days by the devil. So 40 days denotes a season or a prolonged period And the devil is identified as the tempter. Now, temptation involves what I call the unholy trinity, the flesh, the devil, and the world. That it's these three that work in cooperation that produce the ultimate results of temptation, which are where people fall. And these are the active components that are at work in temptation. And the thing is that we are all targets of temptation. 
And the level at which temptation becomes effective is determined, first of all, on your flesh. How active, how much liberty does your flesh have in your life? How much do you feed it? Because that's going to determine much in the beginning of temptation and whether it can take root or whether it's just that, a temptation that you're able to overcome. And then secondly, how much is your flesh connecting with the world? Because the world is the word cosmos in the Greek, and it's simply talking about its fallen uh, element and what it is outside of God and how much of who we are is not only identifying with but deriving from appetites. Because once this combination of flesh and world comes to a certain level, the devil enters into the picture to make the final sales pitch. Just like Eve standing there, it's the perfect scenario for the devil. Because she's right where she shouldn't be connecting with what she shouldn't be connecting with. And he just moves in and makes the final sales pitch. So think about this temptation in the wilderness, because this is against Jesus, but there are some very common, out, common threads here in how the devil still works. Think about what he's throwing at Jesus in the form of temptation. Now, when you study the devil's tactics, you get an insight to how he works and what he uses. So in verse 3, the Bible says, The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, based upon Jesus' response, this particular temptation was about substitutes and fleshly impulses. Because temptation has this feature linked to it. It's meant to convince you that you'll find fulfillment some other way than through a relationship with Christ through the Word of God. And and people fall to this all the time. Instead of turning to God in the hour of difficulty, the hour of temptation, or turning to His Word, uh, they succumb because this is the nature of temptation. It's filled with substitutes. It's, it functions on fleshly impulse. And a big way that this plays out today is through devices and media and Internet. Because substitutes like this that take all of our time from us kill the appetite for God's Word and take place of filling ourselves with the Word of God. I mean, how much time do we waste, absolutely just waste, in, in senselessness? So here's Jesus' response. But he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You know, it can be anything that becomes a substitute for God's word in our lives that becomes our lifeline rather than the word of God. And this is the nature of temptation. The same way he shoveled it at Jesus, he's going to shovel it at you and I. He's going to do everything he can to bring a replacement unless you're Responses like Jesus, no, man shall not live by bread alone, but the word of God. Unless that's your response, you're going to have some trouble. So then in the second wave of temptation, in verses 5 through 7, the devil took him on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all authority I'll give you in their glory, for this has been delivered to me. 
and I will give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. And, of course, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. It's written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so Jesus' response tells us that the main pull of this temptation seems to be a temptation of ownership over your life. See, because when you get saved, your ownership of your life goes over to surrender to God. And so it begins to make a shift in our lives. And we begin to surrender to the impulses of a materialistic world and the power and the fame that comes with it. It seems to be the flow of what the devil is trying to seduce Jesus with. And, and what I'm talking about is very intoxicating. Very intoxicating. But see, this one carries a caveat with it. That when you surrender at this level of temptation, because because this is an issue of worship now. This is an issue of, of, uh, of where you establish your emotions and you attach yourself. And so by surrendering to this, you're entering into a sort of contract with the devil. Certain temptations carry a higher consequence and a greater level of surrender to the world and therefore a greater dimension of the demonic that begins to have influence over your life because of it. So Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. For it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So the issue of this now becomes who and what you worship. You're going to have to grapple with this because this is an arena of temptation. And then the third temptation, in verses 9 through 11, he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And based upon Jesus' response, uh, this temptation seems to be trying to promote a false view of God. Now, there are two things at work. First of all, that this temptation goes for the knockout blow. Throw yourself down from here. How many know the devil plays for keeps? Ultimately, he wants you dead and he wants you in hell. That's ultimately what he's after. And so this, this temptation has a, an element of a knockout to it, but it also promotes a religious mindset about God. And Jesus said that this tempts God or it tests God. That when you are living a certain way and you try to use God's word to justify it, when it's not justifiable, he says you're tempting God. But it began with your own temptation to twist the word of God. It's a perverting and a twisting of God's word, which the religious world does all the time and backsliders do all the time. An attempt to promote a view of God that justifies wrongdoing, bad decisions, sinful actions, and use the word of God for selfish purposes. So, so let's now shift to the thought of an opportune time. Because what we're dealing with is reoccurring temptations. Reoccurring temptations. I can tell you this much. I can kind of spell it out for you that if you've 
faltered at a certain point in your life, if something has been your undoing that caused you to sin, fall, or even fully backslide, you can mark it down assured you will face that temptation again until you overcome it. It's reoccurring temptations. It's, he just waits for a more opportune time. Now, the next really major temptation that we see Jesus undergo was at the end of his ministry in the garden. Now, this is not to assume that he did not face any other temptations because there's no doubt that he did. But this does speak something to us that not all temptation is the same in intensity. How many know what I'm talking about? And, and the longer you serve God, you figure this out. There are some temptations that they're just there to bother you. And throw you off. And there are some temptations that are meant to take you out. And they're well devised and well designed temptations that are fashioned for who you are. And the devil will always harass us with temptation. You can just rest assured if you're a Christian, you're going to be harassed with temptation. But he picks and chooses specific times to bombard you with temptation. Are you listening to me? Because these two times associated with Jesus in the beginning of his ministry in the wilderness and at the end of his ministry in the garden were a bombardment. They were meant to take him out to disqualify him or to discredit him. Now let's focus for a moment on a particular phrase located in the text. The New King James says of the devil that he departed until an opportune time. And the King James says he departed for a season. Now, in our fight against terrorism, the element of their tactics that produce a lot of anxiety and problems is the fact that they'll hit and then they'll lay low for periods of time, sometimes long periods of what seems to be inactivity, but it's not inactivity at all. They are simply putting their next plan together in an attempt to shake things up again. And this is straight out of the devil's playbook when it comes to temptation. There are seasons of and opportunistic times that the devil chooses. He lays low. You may have had one of those great seasons where, you know, you've had your bumps along the way and maybe a few fiery darts, but I mean, nothing major. And all of a sudden, like a flood, just this bombardment of temptation. And it doesn't just come for one day. It comes in waves for days on end sometimes. There are opportunities and seasons associated with temptation. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus tried to warn the disciples that an opportunity for temptation was upon them. They wouldn't have it. They wouldn't heed the warning. This is only Jesus telling them that. So what makes me think a preacher is going to make you heed the warning? But nevertheless, he tries to warn the disciples that an opportunity for temptation is upon you. But they were spiritually undiscerning. And much, no doubt, had to do with their lack of prayer life and their overestimation of themselves. But Jesus knew that the devil was very active and that he had 
access to the hearts of the Pharisees and things were set for a season of ambush. And although Jesus would ultimately be the one that was taken, the target was going to be these disciples. They were in the crosshairs. Because the devil seeks to move in one arena to affect a whole lot bigger picture. Jesus knew this. But the disciples were undiscerning. See, the devil is patient in waiting and in watching. He's patient. And this is the whole idea and picture when Peter spoke about him being a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, that a lion will stalk its prey for a period of time. And then many times there are multiple lions and they will ambush whatever their prey is and they will hone in and take one down. But the greater idea in using a lion as the persona of the devil is that lions are hunters. They're always looking for the next meal, the next kill. And you got to understand this about your sworn enemy, the devil. This is the way he works. And don't think just because right now you're doing well that he's not formulating another plan and another access point to, to try to assault you, to try to draw you away. Because that's what he does. See, the devil is restless, and we see this presented clearly to us in the story of Job. In Job chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered and said to the Lord, From going to and fro upon the earth and walking back and forth on it. He was just looking. He was out looking for somewhere that he could wreak havoc, somewhere that he could bombard somebody, uh, draw somebody. And, and, you know, his real prize is the righteous. You've got to understand that. His real prize is people in the church. People like Job. That's the reason why he took God up on it, even though... He thought it was it was a, a fixed hand anyway. I can't do anything to him, but, but he's sure. If I could take that guy down, this would be great. So the devil was searching the earth for a new opportunity to tempt and assault and hopefully take someone down. See, this is what we're dealing with. And in our text, the devil was unsuccessful in tempting Jesus, but this did not deter him, not even with the Son of God. And in verse 13, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. See, that's the key right there. That's the key. Okay, you overcame this round. Praise God. But it's not the last round. It never will be. And in the Garden of Eden, when Eve got close to the tree that God said, don't touch, the devil said, mm-hmm, opportunity. I mean, it can't present itself any better for the devil than this. God said, don't touch it. She's within reach of it. She's admiring it. She's considering it. Up comes the devil, Mr. Philosopher, and he begins to have a conversation with her. He begins to put things in her head. Before you know it, he's got her eaten of that tree. Because he's, he's, he's opportunistic. We can talk about King David. 
when he stayed back from the battle, when it was time to be in the battle, the devil saw opportunity in David's leisure and carnality and hit him hard with temptation that caused him to fall. See, this is, this is something everyone here needs to understand. You know, just because we get older in God, and I understand things change, the situations in the church change, uh, um, uh, you know, the way we function in the church changes. But, you know, don't, don't find yourself in too much of a leisure situation. You're always disconnecting because you can't. Because you can't. There's got to be something in you that says, no, I've got to hone this down because I've got to realize that, that if I'm not on my edge all the time, this could happen to me. Because all it took was this great man of God to just stay back from the battle. The devil said, hmm, opportunity. Now, there are times that present opportunity where the devil commits to a season of temptation. You can be at a time of overconfidence. Overconfidence can be a deceptive thing. Maybe you've recently won a victory or got a raise or have some money in your pocket and you're feeling good. And that's okay. But the Bible warns us in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed unless he falls. So times of overconfidence, the devil sees as opportunity. They're not on their guard. There are also times of spiritual inactivity, like what we see in King David. And the devil is attracted. Are you listening? Attracted to your carnality. Oh, yes. Opportunity. Haven't prayed in a while. Haven't been really in the word. Been superficial. Been struggling with stuff. I'm moving in. There's also... Times of weariness and disappointment that make you a prime target becomes an opportunity from hell because there's something about weariness and disappointment that you let your guard down. You let your guard down. And then there's the attempt simply to assault a move of God. Sometimes the devil will throw a season of temptation at you just to try to stop a move of God. Or maybe deter you from a recent decision to follow a calling or get into ministry or commit to getting your marriage on track. And the devil says, oh, no, you're not. I've had control of that long enough and I'm not letting it go. And here comes this wave of temptation to try to sway you. There's also times that if you have sinned or failed. You know, if you have sinned or failed, it's not the end of life. It's not, it's not done, finished. But you have to be very careful because the devil will work on overwhelming you with temptation to get you to quit and give up. So after all, I already blew it. Why even try anymore? Opportune times. So let me close with being prepared in every season. Here's a message that the Bible highlights. Watchfulness and spiritual sobriety. Being alert. Prayed up. Read up, outreached up, life on the cutting edge. That's what the Bible promotes as the spiritual status that every believer should be about. Not just those that are supposed to be contending to get sent out one day or those that are just in ministry. Every Christian, everyone that names the name of Jesus 
And in our text, we find a reoccurring undercurrent in Jesus' response in the face of temptation. And this was his use of the word of God. So the devil comes to him, even quote the scripture himself. And Jesus brings the word right back on him. And what this tells me is that Jesus kept his life in the word in daily prayer and active pursuing God's will. And this is what kept him on the edge. This is what allowed him to overcome these intense temptations. And even at the end of his life, the intense temptation to take his life into his hands and say, no, 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 I'm not giving myself at this level. But because he was watchful and sober and alert at all times. See, the message of the Bible promotes watchfulness as a status. You can never let your guard or your watch down. That's why even when you go on a vacation, you're foolish to get a whole week of vacation and not pray. Because you come back and you're, you're, you're prime, you're ripe. And that's what the devil waits for. And ultimately, it's watchfulness in light of the coming of Jesus Christ. This is what the parable of the ten virgins was all about. Five were foolish, slumbered and procrastinated, lived carnally, and the door was closed on them. Five were wise and assuring their lamps were filled and trimmed in every season and were ready when their Lord came. Watchfulness. We don't have time to start backsliding in our hearts. Letting back on the gas pedal of your life for God and having prayerless seasons and times that the word of God is not powerfully working in us and being filled with the spirit of God always. Because if, if you think you can make it, you think too highly of yourself. Ah, oh, I made it this far. Oh, you just watch because the devil just waits and he waits and he waits and he waits until an opportune time. When he thinks he has the best opportunity of derailing. See, God knew this about Job. <laughs> this is why he pointed the devil in his direction. And now we have the benefit from the story. We see the full picture of this man that did not fold. He did not backslide. He did not become diverted no matter what the devil threw at him. Because he was a man that stayed close to God. So the Bible speaks to us concerning this as I close. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 58. You are all sons of the light, sons of the day. We are not, we are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. But let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Here's a very clear call to you and I. You live as people of light and not of darkness. There's a spiritual soberness that needs to take hold of us, that we don't get foolish and disconnected and, and let our carnality just kind of play out for weeks on end. 
There must be this watchfulness. In Luke chapter 21, verses 34 through 36, but take heed to yourselves. Unless your heart be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So here's, again, Jesus is saying, look, especially as we get closer to the end, you're going to have to have a demeanor of watchfulness. But yet, why, if all these warnings are there, all the signs are all around us, then why is the church getting more and more asleep? Why do I see more and more Christians being foolish? And finally, in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's why. This must be our spiritual demeanor at all times. Because we're dealing with something very real. This is the way, this is the devil's MO. This is how he works. He'll never stop. And if you're not where you need to be, when a season hits your life, you're going to unravel. You're going to make some bad decisions. You're going to make some reactionary responses that may cost you. You're going to do things and go places you shouldn't go. So tonight we need to be prepared in every single season. That's how we need to live our lives till Jesus Christ comes back. Never allowing ourselves to let the, <clears throat> the gas off when it comes to spiritual disciplines, pursuing Jesus Christ. We need to search our hearts tonight. This is the Son of God. This is God's only Son. And he's being tempted from every side with intense, intense temptations. And we are not immune. Nothing's different for us. They tempted Jesus. He's going to tempt us. But he looks for opportune times. And that's what I want you to close the door on tonight. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. As we open our hearts, prepare ourselves to respond to God tonight. Now, you may be here this evening and you're not right with God. You have bigger problems than just being tempted. Much bigger problems than just being tempted. Because you're already the devil's puppet. It doesn't take much for you to do whatever because, you know, that's what we do when we're sinners. We just smoke whatever. We drink whatever. We have sex with whatever. That's just the way we function. We're just impulsive, fleshly beings separated from God. But you have bigger problems. Because if you die in your sin, you'll be separated from God for all eternity. And ultimately, the devil's ultimate goal is to take you out. More souls that he can steal more satisfied he is. But Jesus Christ, he fought the ultimate battle for you and I. 
Now you have a decision to make. You have a decision to make. What are you going to do? You're going to keep living the way you're living and going down that road of destruction, that road of addiction, that road of perversion. You're like a devil's puppet. And if you were like me when I was living that life, I felt shame, I felt guilt, but I didn't know how to stop it, so I just kept doing it. Until somebody told me about Jesus, told me that he has the power to change my life. You know what he did? He broke the curse of so many sins in my life. He set me free. So many areas that caused me shame. You're here and you're not right with God, but God's dealing with you. About getting right with God. Securing your soul for eternity. And you would allow us to pray with you and lead you to Jesus tonight. I want you to do something. I want you just to lift your hand up. All across this place, God's dealing with you. Lift your hand up. Thank you here. Thank you there. Thank you there. Others. Thank you. You can put those hands down. I need Jesus tonight. I'm ready to break through. I'm ready to change. I don't want to be the devil's puppet anymore. You can break the curse of the sins that torment you. You say, I've been this way so so long in my life, I don't know what to do. Surrender to Jesus. You watch what he'll do. God's dealing with you tonight. You need to get right with God before you leave this place. I want you to lift your hand up so we can pray with you. Thank you. Who else? Yes, others. Thank you here. Thank you over here. God's dealing with people. The heavy dealing of God tonight. You need to come to Jesus. I'm telling you, there's, there's freedom in surrender. If you'll come to Christ, there's freedom in surrender. You're backslidden. You know the truth. There's no more of a tormenting existence. Would you come back to Jesus tonight and let the peace of God become yours? You've succumbed to temptation. Are you ready to surrender to God? Lift your hand up. God's dealing with you. Yes, others. God's dealing with you. Thank you over here. Who else? Who else tonight? Thank you over here. God bless you. You're going to seal the deal tonight. I'm serving Jesus, man. I'm not going down this road anymore. I'm going to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Lift your hand tonight. God will help you. God will meet with you. He'll forgive you. Who else? These honest hearts that lifted their hand. There's others. There's others. God's dealing with you. Lift your hand up tonight. God's dealing with you. Okay, all of these that lifted your hand, look at me eye to eye. You meant that? I believe you did. Right across here, you meant that. Right here, you meant that. Over here, you meant that. All of you are coming to meet me at this altar right now. Come quickly. We have people that are coming with you. Come quickly to this altar. They're going to help you. They're going to meet with you. Every other head is bowed unless you're coming to pray with these. We need workers, one of the women here, one of the ladies to come. Liz is coming. One of the brothers come pray with him. I need somebody to pray with him. Minister, take your time. Listen, church, what I'm talking about is real. I'm tired of watching People fall by the wayside and fade away because they weren't ready for the temptation that came against their life. Got to make a decision tonight about how you're going to live for Jesus. 
begin to live all flaky, lukewarm, and disconnected, and worship your leisure, you may not make it to the end. But the call of the Bible to every single born-again believer, none are left out, is watchfulness, spiritual watchfulness. That does not allow you to take time off from prayer. That does not allow you to disconnect from God's Word. That doesn't allow you to become a dormant witness. It doesn't allow you to start missing church just to miss church. Because then you're no longer watchful. Just like Eve, the devil saw it. There it is. I don't know how long he waited. I don't know how patient he was, but he finally got his opportunity. And so it will be. And we need to let the fear of God fall on us tonight and realize, you know what? This could be us. I don't care who you are, how long you've been saved. You're just a bigger trophy. You better keep yourself where you need to be in God. We're going to respond tonight. If God's dealing with you, I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to come and make a place at this altar right now. And God is going to meet with people. It's going to be a realigning in some critical areas of our lives tonight. Some of you had some near brushes with temptation and Maybe nobody else knows about it. You're like, man, golly, that one almost took me out. I can't believe that I allowed that. Well, you know what? Let's, let's close that door tonight. Let's take it serious. Some of you have been flirting with temptation because you've allowed your flesh too much liberty. You've been connecting with the world. Some of you, you've been reconnecting with relationships that are not good for you. And you make some decisions tonight to close some doors. Some of you are functioning with a spiritual disposition that's attracting the devil to your life. Filled with compromise. Lukewarm pity. Just attracts the devil. You need to settle the deal tonight. Because the devil plays for keeps. He, play, he plays the real deal. Oh, God, let your ministering presence flow upon this altar tonight in Jesus' name. God, break the spell of temptation that has some captive tonight. Uh, the allurement, God, that is drawing some away in a hypnotic way, God. Let it be broken tonight in Jesus' name. Uh, God, let there be repentance and renewal at this altar right now. Oh, God, help us, Lord. Meet with us tonight, God. Intervene those that are on the wrong path. This world was made to appeal to the lust of men. He was made for it. And if you're not going to live consecrated, you're not going to overcome this world.
can suck you in, use you, spit you out, and leave you a shell of what you used to be. But I want to say something. There's some of you in here, you've, whether it's been something that others know about or it's just your own struggle, but you've fallen in an area of your life. And the devil would not, love nothing more than to pile on with such condemnation that you just say, forget it. Why try? I want to say try tonight. Just talk to God of this all. Just put it in with him. Deal with it. Get up and start doing the things you know to do. And God will help you. God will help you. doesn't have to be the end. doesn't have to be what takes you out. But God will help you. Oh, God, we thank you. Oh, Lord, help us. Change us, God. Oh, would you stand to your feet right where you're at? Lift your hands. We're going to song a, sing a song right where you're at the altar. Don't go back to your seats. Uh, let's just contend for a visitation tonight that would seal this word in our hearts and help us. Lift your hands and sing it. Uh, Oh, yes, cast me not away. Cast me not away from thy presence. Oh, yes, thank you, Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And renew with oh, let's just worship God tonight. Father, we give you praise. We honor you and praise you and bless your holy name. We thank you for your long suffering towards us, O oh God. Hallelujah, Lord, you alone are worthy. My Savior, my God, and my King. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Oh, worthy, Lord, worthy, Arabasandore. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So it all starts in morning prayer.
you don't have a morning prayer life, you're ripe for temptation. You need to get in prayer. If you don't come to the church, you need to find a place in your home. Start your day. You know, if you're too busy to pray, then you're too busy. Something's got to go because your prayers can't go. If your prayers are going, that is a foolish decision. And so let's go. Let's overcome in the name of Jesus. Encourage one another. Amen. That's what we're here for. The people you know that they're struggling, encourage them, link hearts with them, see them through. But every one of us are on a level of watchfulness constantly. And God will help us in the end. We're going to dismiss. Don't forget if you are going on the invasion team, I need to see you right away. The youth are meeting over on this side by the piano. Uh, don't forget our weekend of events with outreach. The Edge back in church on Sunday. Amen. So let's bow our heads together. We're dismissing in prayer, rejoicing, thanking God for all that he's done. He's helped us with. Danny Hernandez is lifting his voice and dismissing us in prayer.